HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Learn more about PASA's 2021 virtual conference at pasafarming.org slash conference. This week on Meet and 3, we head into the second part of our mini-series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet, from chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry in the U.S. They're using this romance and fantasy to say dates are exotic and you should consume them. I'd like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts, in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very like personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Today's guest is Hannah Smith Brubaker. She's currently the executive director of PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Before that, she served as Pennsylvania's deputy secretary of agriculture, and she's a farmer, of course. PASA's annual conference is starting this week and will continue for a few more after. So we're going to talk about more about that and also what's happening overall in sustainable agriculture in Pennsylvania and beyond. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. Happy to be here. So you're here to talk about the conference. It's a big, big moment for, for PASA, um, but it's always nice to get to know people a little bit first. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your farm? Sure. Um, I farm in rural Pennsylvania, and we've been certified organic for, well, actually before there was a national program, so about 30 years. Wow. We're a multi-generational farm, so um, our kids, if they decide to to farm, will be fourth generation um, organic farmers. And we produce primarily organic produce, but also pasture uh a flock of Shetland sheep for fiber and about a thousand laying hens also out on pasture. 
Wow, that's well. So I have a lot of questions for you about organic and um, just how it's changed over. You know, it, it's really cool that you've been kind of doing it for so long. Um, but let's talk about pasta first, and then sure. we'll, we'll get into these bigger <laughs> issues. So, um, aside from the conference, if if someone hasn't heard of pasta, give us sort of the summary of like what what does the organization do. Mm-hmm. Sure. So at PASA, we have a, a vision of a world where agriculture, we say, nourishes, heals, and empowers. So just like on my own farm, where our mission is about connecting people to their food, the earth, and each other, we always focus on the three areas of sustainability, healthy farms, healthy planet, and healthy people. And so we have a few area, different distinct areas um, that we focus on. One is on-farm research. So in this, we actually have farmers conducting research on their own farms around soil health, financial viability, and nutrient density. And um, they're organized in learning cohorts and all learning from each other about these practices. We then have our education arm, which includes our annual conference, but also workshops throughout the year. And we also have um, state and federally approved apprenticeship programs. So that is our dairy grazing apprenticeship program, and our Diversified Vegetable Farm Manager program. Those are at the heart of what we do. And then of course, especially after a year like this, you know, part of um, our job is also connecting people to their local farmer. And we really saw that play out more directly this last year. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, this year, obviously it was different on every every level that we could have met, or I guess now I should say last year, right? Mm-hmm, but we're, yeah. we're still living it. Um, but the, the conference this year, this is the first time it's digital. Um, how big of a challenge was that to move everything online? Oh, wow. Um, well, <laughs> uh, it was quite a challenge. Um, I will say, though, I'm so proud of our team because all the way back in May, um, we decided that we, well, we realized we needed to go virtual. And at the time, a lot of people said to us, like, you're crazy. You don't like how, why are you doing that now? But because we care so much about our attendees experience, we knew we couldn't afford to sort of at the last minute, take a 2200 person, you know, in-person conference and just shift it to online. So it was mm-hmm. overwhelming, um, but honestly, it was a bit freeing, too, because <laughs> we <laughs> looked at like every single element and thought about how to best serve our audience. And those are things that will carry on with us after COVID in terms of our delivery um, to our attendees. And so, you know, I, I actually I really feel for other conferences that had to pivot so much more quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel that of course, you know, um happy to talk also about, you know, things we'll be missing this year, but feel feel really great about the ability to reach so many new people too. Yeah, I was wondering that. Are you seeing more people registering from around the country who, you know, in past years um might not have made the trip? Mhm. Yeah, we're actually seeing a lot of new names um there was a person in England who posted on social media that they can finally come to the PASA conference this year. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, it's also a lot easier to, um, you know, we've learned a lot about recording virtual sessions and that sort of thing. So we're actually going to come out of the conference this year with a lot of content that, that we hope will provide value for people beyond, you know, just the conference. 
Right. Like it kind of will have a longer life potentially yes. and, and be sort mm-hmm. of ongoing education. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. So there are a lot of sessions. Um, I was going through the, the agenda and it is long. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they really run the gamut. Um, are there any big common threads for this 2021 conference. Like I'd love to hear if there are topics you were thinking about the most while planning it that you think farmers are really concerned about right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, this is actually our 30th anniversary conference. So this will be a 30, 30th time. A lot of people don't know <laughs> that like even before PASA was a conference um, or, or excuse me, a, an organization, it, it was a conference. That's how we got our start. Huh. So we wanted the pre-conference to really focus on our practiced and aspiring farmers. And so we're focusing on soil health, uh, employee management, pastured livestock, uh, both urban and urban and small scale production, as well as as larger production. And um, also uh, there's definitely a focus on um, organic in the in the pre-conference as well. And then at the main conference, we're really looking at sort of the higher level, um, big picture ideas. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a lot of our our speakers are really focusing on, you know, Robin Wall Kimmerer is talking about sort of the interconnectedness of all life and how that carries over into our relationships. And Malik Yakini um, is going to be talking a lot about you know, urban agriculture, and also, especially given all of the events of this last year and what has been one of the most important civil rights uh, movements in our lifetime, how we sort of come to terms with, as a community, um, some of the injustices that Black, um, Indigenous, and people of color have experienced um, in agriculture. And so I'm really excited about sort of the some of these timely conversations yeah, so that I'm glad you brought that up to the difference between the pre-conference and the main conference because I wasn't sure, but it sounds like what you're saying is the pre-conference is really for people who are actively farming, like really kind of technical sessions, and then the main conference is a little bit wider um, reach. Like even if you're not a farmer, you might be interested in the topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly anybody can attend the pre-conference, but yes, it's primarily focused um, on farmers. Okay, got it. Um, you mentioned organic as, as one of the big, um, topics. And obviously that is what you've, you know, you're, you've been focused on organic agriculture in your own career. Um, are there specific things within organic that you're thinking about right now or, or specific challenges that organic farmers are facing? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Um, I'd have to say, uh, and some to some degree, this never changes, but especially now, integrity, trust, mm. transparency, you know, sort of the tension between the original intent of organic and how it plays out, particularly now that corporations um, yeah. are in the in the discussion. So, um, yeah. We, and selling a lot of organic food, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least food that's labeled organic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, our, our farm is part of the Real Organic Project, which is really mm-hmm. aimed at, you know, um, 
sort of that original intent that believing that as farmers, it's as much about regenerating soils and um, uh, ensuring that our natural resources are preserved as it is about feeding people. And so, you know, a, a lot of things go on in the name of agri- of organic agriculture um, in the marketplace. And we're really pushing to remind consumers that there's a lot more than just sort of what you do or don't put in, um, in terms of, of inputs and, and really our responsibilities as stewards of the earth as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's interesting that you present it that way, because I mean, that's sort of about consumer education, right? And, mm-hmm. but, but for farmer, like, the issue of integrity, um, you know, for, for farmers who are concerned about that, like, how do you talk about that at PASA um, in terms of what, what the farmer's responsibility is or what they can do to kind of um, participate in securing that integrity? Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, the majority of farmers that I know, they they really do see themselves as stewards um and often mm-hmm. you know often it's the farmer who maybe is just getting their feet wet coming out of more conventional agriculture and um starts to actually see the economic benefits um and the the benefits for example to their soil in terms of being able to raise crops um that produce healthier plants, um, aren't as severely impacted by, by insects and that sort of thing. They often become the, the best advocates of all, honestly. Mm. And, and at PASA, we, we never say sort of like, you can be in this conversation or you, know, you can't be in this conversation. If people are willing to engage around sustainable agriculture, um, we, we want them to be part of the conversation. Got it. Okay. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Hannah Smith Brubaker. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Cultivating environmentally sound, economically viable, and community-focused farms and food systems. PASA Sustainable Agriculture's annual conference is one of the largest gatherings of sustainable farmers, food system professionals, and changemakers in the nation. The 2021 virtual conference takes place January 19th to February 5th and features more than 90 sessions on topics that include soil health, climate change, crop production, livestock grazing, urban agriculture, community building, food justice, and much, much more. Don't miss keynote speaker Robin Wall Kimmerer, scientist and author of Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. Learn more about PASA Sustainable Agriculture's 2021 virtual conference and register online at pasafarming.org slash conference. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I have been speaking to Hannah Smith-Brubaker, the director of PASA. 
So, Hannah, we didn't really talk about COVID and how it has affected the farmers that you work with. Um, what are some of the big things that you were seeing this year um, in terms of effects on farmers and, and how will that be represented at the conference? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, we were busy last spring um, working with the governor's office to um, ensure that farmers were even considered uh, essential workers, because <laughs> it's you right. know, um, and so we were really happy that Pennsylvania from the get go really said you know, farm workers, people in food production, absolutely essential workers. And as we saw what happened, you know, in grocery stores throughout the year, thank goodness so many farmers were able to rally and pivot and be responsive. Um, those um, of us who already were in direct to consumer sales, I think honestly saw uh, in some cases a record year in terms of our own yeah. sales because people just wanted to find food, first of all. But hopefully during that time, we've really developed relationships and will continue um, to serve those customers beyond COVID. On the other hand, unfortunately, a lot of farmers who A, weren't selling directly or B, you know, who had no online presence there was a lot of scrambling. Um, and so we did a series of webinars. We also, um, for our Amish members, had a nightly, essentially like they could call in on a phone and, and hear a recording of the the newest guidelines that were coming out from the Department of Agriculture or the governor's office. And so we've tried in as many ways as possible uh, to really help farmers get their product um, into the marketplace, especially if, again, they that's maybe not the realm that they had been operating in before COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I you know I'm hearing from a lot of farmers, um, you know this this sense that there was a lot there a lot of demand for food, for local food especially for farmers selling, like you said, direct to consumers. Um, have you seen that continue throughout, you know, now? I mean, it, I guess it's it's hard to say, like, we're still in the middle of, of the pandemic. Um, in some ways, it's worse than, than ever. Um, but I guess, you know, we have the vaccine now. There's kind of a, um, hopefully, an, an end in sight at some point. And I'm just thinking a lot about whether these kind of shifts to to buying more food from farmers in their own communities, if, if those will last and, and what you're mm-hmm. seeing on that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, time will tell, but I have to say in general, when we're talking to our customers, and, and I've heard this from other farmers too, that it, you know, we've learned some lessons about resiliency. Um, we've learned about being prepared for, you know, if there would be a next time. <laughs> Um, and even though as farmers were constantly dealing with ever-changing markets and consumer preferences, um, there are some broader issues, you know, I, I mentioned, um, the civil rights movement, but also the biggest issue is climate change, right? Were, which you could argue those two are, are linked to each other. Um, in terms of the impact on more vulnerable communities. But certainly, 
if we're thinking about what climate change is doing in terms of when we plant, when we harvest, you know, how long our, our seasons are going, you know, three summers ago, our farm planted out um, our winter crops on a Wednesday. It started raining on a Friday and three days later we had 15 inches of rain and our entire, everything we planted was, was gone. Oh my gosh. And then this summer, you know, we were having a great summer and then a drought came. And so we know right. that, that we know that climate change isn't necessarily just about things getting hotter, but it's the variability. It's not being able to count on the typical cycles um, of the season. And so We've got to do everything we can to be prepared for that. And a lot of that is woven into our conference this year as well. Um, we always focus on diversification. I always say that's like your best, you know, insurance policy, mm-hmm. um, but also how to adapt to ever-changing um, markets and consumer demand and that sort of thing. So I, I hope the lesson we've learned is, you know, we've got to diversify, we've got to be ready for, you know, things change all the time. And and with climate change, it's really not something that's very predictable. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting connection you made, which is that a lot of these things, diversification, resilience, um, adaptability, like they're, they are essentially, um, tools that could allow farmers to, um, confront, a crisis like a pandemic and, and, you know, adapt and be, or climate change, right? Like they, it's mm-hmm. sort of, if you, mm-hmm. if you do these things, you can potentially be resilient in the face of different kinds of challenges. Um, yes. which, yeah, <laughs> I mean, hopefully right? yes. <laughs> that's what we're going for anyway. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So let's switch gears for a minute. I want to, you know, I, I think, Having you on the show, I, I know you have been um, a farmer in Pennsylvania for a very long time and also worked with the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. And I think that's a really cool perspective to have. Um, and, you know, I know that PASA, a lot of the, the topics at PASA at the conference are kind of general and would apply to people in agriculture anywhere. But Pennsylvania is a big agriculture state, and I think it's valuable to think about what's happening there. Can you talk a little bit about Pennsylvania's agriculture landscape for people who maybe are, you know, have been farming in California their whole life and don't know much about Pennsylvania? Like what makes it unique compared to other Mm -hmm. agricultural states? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it is a very diverse state um, with, and maybe this is true everywhere, sort of regional cultural identities, um, but a lot of difference even in the weather patterns, um, the proximity to markets, that sort of thing. You know, Pennsylvania sits, I think it's something like, you know, we have access to, I don't know, a a third of the nation's um, citizenry in terms of, you know, their being able to buy Pennsylvania products pretty easily. Um, Huh. Because it's so close to, you know, New York, yes, Baltimore, yes, Penn, yes. D.C., potentially yes. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I think maybe because we're a commonwealth, I don't know. Um, we do sort of have these microcosms um, of, of local markets where 
not only third in the nation for organic production, but we're also first in the nation for direct-to-consumer sales originating from farms. And so it's very much a part of our culture um, for people to buy products directly from their farmer. And, and you know, that has a lot of a lot of societal benefits beyond just, you know, farm sales. And so, um, you know, like anything else in life, if, you know, we really want to make any sort of fundamental change in any system, it starts with relationships. And so I think we're pretty well poised in our state to be able to influence not only our local communities, but even really farmers' impact on the legislature and at a state level. Um, I'd say we have a very active farming community in terms of involvement with shaping policy and that sort of thing as well. So, um, Mm. yeah. Well, and and it's the first state to have a farm bill at the state Mm -hmm. level, right? Which passed Mm -hmm. in 2019. So what... Has that farm bill had an impact? Um, is there like a measurable mm-hmm. or observable impact mm-hmm. that it's had mm-hmm. on farmers? I think it certainly has. And, and we just recently found out that that um, nearly all of those programs are being funded again this year. Um, Governor Wolf and Secretary Redding really have been very committed to Pennsylvania's farmers and in reaching new farmers. And so... That farm bill, my goodness, it it focused on funding for um, conservation, for business development, first ever, you know, programs for urban agriculture, Let's see, uh, the farm to school program, a really cool program that I had an opportunity um, to start when I was at the department through the state PA preferred marketing program as a partnership with a farmer veteran coalition for um, a homegrown by heroes marketing program for farmers who are veterans. There's a disaster response. Oh, and, and probably another really important one is support for small meat processing. So Pennsylvania, Ah. so Pennsylvania, like a lot of other States has a lot of trouble um, in terms of access to processing for, for livestock. And so a lot of ways that the state is reaching farmers and business people that maybe haven't traditionally been in the conversation. So I think that's probably its biggest success. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious if, if other states will, will follow suit and, um, and pass their own versions of this at some point. That it would seems be great. To make a lot of sense, right? <laughs> that would be great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Okay, well, uh, Hannah, we should wrap up. Um, before we do, if uh, a listener wants to attend the PASA conference, how do they go about doing that? Yep, they just visit our website at pasafarming.org, and then there's a little slash and conference, and it'll show you all the details. You can get registered right away. And what are the exact dates? Uh, it starts tomorrow. <laughs> okay. And well, run- so this won't this won't run live. Okay. So okay. um yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's January 19th through February 5th. Perfect. Great. And and that's my fault too because I was like this week and actually now and then I thought, "Oh, I I don't know if this episode is <laughs> <laughs> this week." That's okay. <laughs> Back before COVID, we did everything live, <laughs> and I missed those days. Um, oh, well. <laughs> um, okay, great. Well, um, I'm sure many farmers will be um, 
attending PASA and getting all kinds of, of great information. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, absolutely. It was a delight. Thank you. And thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, this is Lisa Held. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.